Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Jonah. I guess on July 4th, people come to the 11 o'clock service, not the 9 o'clock service. Right. That's, That's a, right. a joke, I guess, just for me and <laughs> Gordy Brown here. This is Gordy Brown. To my right, your left. Look at that. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to hype you up at all. Everybody's ready. Uh, Gordy's going to preach for us today. And uh, I had dinner with Gordy. My wife and I had dinner with Gordy and his family uh, last week. And I learned some fascinating things about the man. So instead of doing some, like, fancy intro, I just want to share some tidbits about Gordy here that will blow <laughs> your mind. Uh, first, this one may not blow your mind. He's married to Alexis. They got married, what was it, when you were 17 and she was 15? Is that... <laughs> 20 and 19. 20 and 19. 20 and 19. Right. Right. So if you're a parent of a teenager, you may want to ask them to leave right now. Because um, look at them. They made it. You guys did it. You made it. They got two kids, Michael and Avery. You got you to figure it out, right? That's right. Every so day. if you have any marriage problems, talk to Gordon and Alexis. They've got it figured out. Uh, second, anybody here like barbecue, pulled pork in particular? Yeah. The best place to get that in southern Indiana or Louisville is actually at Gordy's house. So whatever you got to do to become friends with them, to get invited over, I encourage you to do that. Uh, and also, uh, he's a fan of Chewy's, you know, the Applebee's of Mexican restaurants, which maybe you're into that. That's right. It's okay if you're into that. He actually has perfected their, what is the, the jalapeno? It's, that's right. It's a jalapeno ranch. The jalapeno, ranch. The jalapeno ranch. Yeah. So uh, just, that's just another incentive to become friends with Gordy and get over to his house. Uh, the thing that, and I'm just going to tease you all with this. I'll force you to talk to Gordy afterwards. He is a flesh and blood living royal bloodline Christian. Uh, his family, they're royalty in Idaho, which you're like, there's royalty in Idaho. Yeah, I didn't know either. But he, you all, maybe you're like, man, I just can't wait till we have a celebrity Christian at, at our church. We have one. <laughs> We just didn't know it. And you guys think I'm joking. This is 0% joke right now. You just got to go talk to Gordy and figure out why. Is that fair? I guess. Uh, I guess. I didn't know either. He's just all calm and cool, but he's like a royal bloodline Christian. Uh, go talk to him about it, and you'll learn more. So he's going to be preaching for us. Uh, he and Alexis are praying through going back to Idaho to revitalize the church or um, obey the Lord and stay here with us. <laughs> so just, you know, pray with them as they're, as they're sorting through that. They've been community group leaders for a long time. Um, and so we're grateful for you guys. We're grateful to have you here. I'm going to pray for Gordy, and then he'll preach for us. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thanks for Gordy and for Alexis. Uh, thank you for uh, the wonderful evidence of your grace that's uh, on their story. And uh, we thank you, God, for bringing them here to us. And what a gift they've been uh, in so many ways. I pray for Gordy now that uh, your presence would rest on him in a way that he would, he would feel your nearness, you'd feel your love for him, and uh, preach to us from a place of deep confidence and trust in your goodness and your love for us. And I pray that you would open our hearts, uh, fill us with eagerness to hear from you this morning. Uh, I pray that we would see Jesus as the story unfolds and he would refresh us, encourage us, and transform us. So come, Spirit, be with us. Uh, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now, by our tradition, let's stand, and I'll read the scriptures for us, and then Gordy's going to do the thing. <laughs> Luke 5, right? We didn't switch it up on me between right. services. It's All right, here we go. Luke 5. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. 
and immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news spread about him all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, good morning, everybody. Thanks to Jonah for uh, both being embarrassing and encouraging all in the same breath. So that was, that was impressive. It's a gift. <laughs> I've I, I got to be honest, I'm always a little bit apprehensive when I attend church on 4th of July weekend. I'm sure you can probably guess why. We, my wife and I had an experience in Southern California a number of years ago where we visited a church on 4th of July weekend and... Uh, um, Indoor fireworks ensued, and uh, any any number of uh, patriotic things. So, if I'm a little jumpy, it's because I'm I'm half expecting something to go off here behind me. So, thank you for not doing that here at Sojourn. <laughs> I had nothing to do with my sermon, so we'll get right into that from from one uh, from run, one random story to the next. So, I was I was sitting in a drive-through at McDonald's. Some of you have experienced that. It's a beautiful day. Birds were chirping, sun was shining, I'd gotten out the door early, things were just going to be awesome today. So this was a, what, what I call a sausage McMuffin type of a day. So I'm sitting there in the drive-thru, and I'm thinking, what could make this day even better? Well, I'm going to please Jesus, of course. I'm going to make him happy. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, first of all, what do we do in southern Indiana when we want to please Jesus? Anybody know? Random acts of kindness, Right? That's what we do. We're going we're gonna to show some random kindness to some folks. So I'm sitting there. I order my sausage McMuffin. I pull up to the window, and I tell the guy in the window, I say, okay, I want to pay for that guy behind me. And he looks at me a little funny, kind of like, are you sure you want to do that? And then he says, okay, that'll be $18. And <laughs> what? <laughs> How can you fit that much McDonald's food in a Honda Civic? <laughs> I had no idea. So just like, okay, shake it off. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, Gordy. Jesus is that much more pleased with me now, right? This is an actual sacrifice. So I pay my $18, and uh, I get my sausage McMuffin, and I'm pulling away. And you know what you do when you do that, right? You got to look in the, in the rearview mirror. You pull away slowly, and you got you to catch that wave. So pulling away, I'm looking, looking, looking in the mirror and the side. There's nothing. I, kind of, I slow down a little bit. I was like, I got to get that wave, that acknowledgement of my kindness. There's nothing. Fact is, the guy in the car hands a wad of cash into the window of the McDonald's. And I'm thinking, you idiot! You just double charged for that meal! And somebody at the 9 o'clock service pointed out to me, well, they were probably just paying for the guy behind them, but I didn't think of it that way. I thought, I'm gonna get, this is terrible! So I drove away, and I, uh, I ate my uh, $18 Sausage McMuffin, it, wasn't, it didn't taste so good after that. So I, I pretty much, I know I violated most of the fruits of the Spirit in that one interaction. So I've, it's a wonder I'm here before you today, so I, I apologize for what's about to ensue. Well, is, is that what it's about? Obviously, we've been talking through the fruits of the Spirit, and uh, we're at the kindness section, if you haven't noticed yet. I mean, is that what it's all about? Are we just supposed to go around and randomly be nice to people? Show kindness. Those, those are good things, right? 
Is that what it's about? Is that what we're talking about? Is that the fruit of the Spirit? If that's the case, we can wrap this up right here. You guys can go enjoy your 4th of July activities. So here's the sermon. Mondays are officially random acts of kindness Mondays. I think I heard that on the radio somewhere, so it's probably a thing somewhere. So go be Ractivists, R-A-K. And that's also a thing if you Google it, so you can check that out. Go be Ractivists. Just go be, go be nice to people. Show some kindness. That's it. You guys can go home. Of course, not so fast. Preacher wouldn't let you out that quick. In order to actually understand the fruit of the spirit of kindness, especially as we're showing in this sermon series, In the Life of Jesus, I want to turn the pages back in the story a little bit. Let's go back a little bit farther. Here in Luke 5, I don't think Jesus is just a ractivist. I don't think that's what he's about. He's not going around randomly being nice to people. I think that this story, this outworking of the inward character of Christ, actually started long before anything was created. So I want to invite you, as your bulletin says, to consider the story of God. And to do that, I want to turn over briefly to Ephesians 1 and go over a couple of verses there. So Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Ephesians 2, there's just a short phrase in Ephesians 2 that kind of sums this up. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's aim, big, big, big picture here. God's aim in creation is clearly relational. You see, before the earth was created, before the world was created, Jesus planned that you and I would be individually adopted into God's family. And as being adopted into God's family, we would then become about the family business. If you read the Bible, beginning to end, start at the cover to cover, right, right all the way to the end, and you step back and you get a real wide lens view on the story. Everything, everything is pointing towards this point. God chooses, first of all, he chooses a specific people through which the point would flow. Starting with Abraham, you'll see, and then the children of Israel. God creates relationships with specific people through covenants to bring the story further. He speaks through prophets and songwriters and poets about what the end of the story would look like. And then finally, finally, he sends his son. All of history is on the edge of its seats when Jesus comes on the scene, waiting, waiting to see, to feel its fulfillment. And we see as Jesus comes on the scene, the God-man, right? Both human and divine. As a human, 
as a human, Jesus actively revealed the character of God with every step that he took and every decision that he made. I'm going to say that again and let that soak in a little bit. As a human, Jesus actively revealed the character of God with every step that he took and every decision that he made. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say something like, we hear this all the time, Jesus never sinned, right? Or Jesus always did the works of God. What's the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's your initial reaction? Especially when we think of Jesus as an example for us. He's God, right? We can't do that. But we look to Jesus as an example for us, right? How does that work? Is this a, I mean, the odds are stacked against us if that's the case. Are we in a losing fight? How would it change your outlook on Jesus? How you view Jesus? How you experience Jesus as example? If you understood that Jesus lived like he lived, he did what he did. He revealed the character of God as a human living in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this is what the verses in Ephesians are talking about. God planned long before you were born, before anything else that was created. He planned that you specifically would become his child because of Jesus. And he planned that you specifically would reveal his character because of Jesus. This is why we can preach a series on the life of Jesus as an example for us. He's shown us what it looks like, and he's given us his spirit to actually do it. If you, if you think back when Jonah preached the first, um, the first sermon on this series with love, started, starting off the fruit of the spirit, he emphasized our connection to Jesus as being the only hope for our lives. So as a result of that, we're not just left up on our own to copy something. We're not just trying to copy a formula, A plus B equals C or whatever. We're not trying to just copy Jesus. He's actually connected himself to us. God has purposed that we would be connected to the life of Jesus. And as connected to the life of Jesus, we've been invited to follow in his footsteps of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, it was the plan of God to send Jesus to reveal the heart and the character and the word of God. It was the plan of God to send Jesus to live as a human in the power of the Spirit, to show us the way. It was the plan of God to send Jesus to live and to die as both substitute and example, both. So where do we go from here? Clearly, we're not just left up to do this on our own. 
We don't have the strength to muster up to try to copy Jesus. No, his kindness has already been made available to us. But we must receive the kindness of Jesus. So if you look at our text, Luke 5, verse 12, right off the bat, I think we learn something very important about Jesus as he reveals the character of God as a human. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns. At this point in the story, Jesus has begun, he's been uh, preaching and teaching and healing throughout the region of Galilee. Ironically enough, it's one of the times where he faces the most opposition as well, even as he does all these wonderful things. And he goes to a place where there's lots of people. He didn't always do this. This is one of the things that he intentionally did. Went to where there were people, into a city, into a town. He he associated with people. That's the point. He didn't operate in a way that was aloof from the general population. He spent time where people lived, where people ate, where people breathed and worked, and where there was a grind for people, and where there was no doubt gathered many people who were sick. And poor and hurting, maybe just, just waiting for some help. And this particular man that Jesus encounters was exactly one of those people, sick and poor, needing help, totally an outcast, totally an outcast. It says he was covered in leprosy. Now, we don't see that very much, I don't think, in our day. And so Maybe we don't know what that looks like. So what, what do we do when we don't know what, uh, what sickness we have or when we, we've got, like, we're ill, we don't know what we have? What's the first, first place you go? Google, that's right. <laughs> I Googled it. So here we go. This is from the official source. Now, actually, I, I got this uh, through Google from a uh, journal of medicine. So it says leprosy is a chronic infectious disease caused by something called um, mycobacterium leprae. No idea if I said that right. It affects the skin, peripheral nerves, and it can cause irreversible impairment of nerve function, and consequently it causes chronic disabilities. So shows up in basically like these blistering, oozing skin lesions, and, and it results in deformity. So it affects the joints too. Deformity of the joints makes it very difficult to walk and do things. Uh, so both physically limiting and that it's hard to move and also it's cosmetically marring. So you guys curious what this looks like? I think we have a picture. This guy in the story, he didn't just need a bath. He needed a physical remedy. He needed a physical touch. One of the things that's initially striking to me about this story is the response from this guy. So he was obviously looked something like that. I don't know. Of course, we don't know exactly, but if it's that same disease, he probably looked something like that. He would have been an outcast, sitting on the side of the road, maybe uh, begging, perhaps. He'd be unable to work. Um, What's striking to me about what he does when Jesus comes along, he's he's like he's looking for Jesus or something. He knows who he is. And and he calls out, he says, Lord. 
maybe on a side note, but how does that compare to the way you respond to your deficiencies, things that you need help with? Obviously, this guy couldn't hide what he had, but I think we've got stuff we hide that we have. How does his response affect the way you think about that? If you're not a Christian this morning, how does that sit with you? Look, we're all in need of help. Every single one of us. Whether you want to admit it or not. We're all messed up. We all need Jesus' kindness. What if we just followed this leper's example? What if instead of trying to figure out the best way to work this out on my own, what if, what if we just ask for help? It's not so hard, but it is. I mean, it is. What if we just laid it all out there? And, and like this leper said, Lord, make, if you will, make me clean. So what, what is Jesus' response to this guy? He touched him. He reached out his hand and he touched him. Think about that. With what you just saw on the screen. Leprosy is extremely infectious. Nobody in their right mind reaches out and touches that, right? At least not without some gloves on. You see, this guy, this leper, according to tradition and culture of that time, he would normally not even be allowed inside the city. The city had walls. He couldn't live there. He'd have to go out to one of the outside groups. But he's there, and he asks for Jesus' help. And Jesus, without hesitation, he doesn't doesn't go huddle up with his disciples and have a little conference. Guys, what should we do about this guy? He hears help, and he reaches down immediately, and he physically connects himself with that man. Disease and all. And he says, I am willing to be clean. It shouldn't surprise any of us that the the man was made clean. He was healed of his deformity. But the question I keep coming back to is why did Jesus touch this guy physically? Couldn't he have just spoken the word? I think he did that other places. The Bible even tells us that's how he created the world. He had the power to speak healing over this guy. He didn't. And that's that's striking, it should be striking to us because if we think back on Jewish culture, the leper, the disease that this guy had was this leper was the ultimate outcast. And if you read in the Old Testament, you can find out all kinds of laws and rules and guidelines for how you're supposed to treat people with leprosy. So here's one example, Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, must let their hair be unkempt, 
must cover the lower part of their face, and they must cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So lepers were not only were they identified by others, as, by the culture as being unclean, they had to walk around identifying themselves as unclean to the people that they came in contact with. So imagine you've got leprosy. It's not 2017. We're not in New Albany, Indiana. Let's say you're in Galilee. You've got leprosy. You've got to, first of all, you've got to wear, wear torn clothes. I don't, again, I have no idea why. That <laughs> seems very strange to me. You, you can't comb your hair. No gel, guys. No, no hairspray. You've got to have a handkerchief over your face. Can't breathe on anybody. And you've got to walk around saying, like announcing your, your presence by saying, unclean, unclean. So just so people can get out of your way and, and not touch you and not, not get near you. You know what else you'd have to do? You wouldn't be able to come to church. You'd have to stay outside the city. We wouldn't let you in the building this morning. You would be completely alienated, completely outcast, completely separated from everything that could help you because of your disease. And when Jesus touches this man, Jesus is putting himself at risk for the same thing. I mean, he could have, he could have caught the disease himself, right? That's one risk. Touch, touch the guy, contract the disease. That's risky. But think of it. Jesus, the Son of God, risking his position with the people of God, being banned from the organized worship of God. Jesus. And he puts himself in that position. Can you, can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? After this? <laughs> Just imagine, Jesus, no, don't do it. Don't, don't touch this guy. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. If Jesus were in the random acts of kindness business, would he have done this? If he was just going to pay it forward, would he have done this? You see, random acts of kindness allow us to engage people without welcoming them. They allow us to be nice without getting dirty. In touching this leper, Jesus communicates a clear message to everyone around him. He's identifying with. He's welcoming. He's physically connecting himself with this man. In other places, he does this with other people too. This is, this is how he operates. He connects himself with the weak, with the alienated, with the sick. And in so doing, he shouts, 
a clear message to the world. He says, this is who God is. And friends, is this not what God has done for us? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We are the leper in the story. We have a disease so complete and so infectious that simply to exist means alienation from God. Our mere existence. If you look throughout the Bible at at, at kind of a theme of leprosy throughout, I think it's almost always an outwardly visible symbol of an inward corruption. And just as a person with leprosy was not allowed into the presence of God's people under the Levitical Code, in the same way, we are naturally alienated from God because of the natural sinfulness of our hearts, because of who we are. Jesus is communicating the kindness of God to this man because of, by welcoming him, by healing him, and by identifying with him. And by his actions, Jesus is revealing the character of God as Savior. He's full of kindness, ready to welcome us, ready to forgive us, even as we are in our corrupt state. So I ask you, each one of us, myself included, have we received the kindness of Jesus? He's not a a drive-through ractivist. Instead, he has become one of us. He's physically connected himself to us by becoming a man. He's associated with us. He's welcomed us. And so I plead with you, do as the leper did. Cry out, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And when you receive his healing touch, then you can begin to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. So as I was preparing for this, I got to thinking, what, what are all the ways that uh, Jesus could have responded if he was going to do things like we do? And I say we, not like our city or our nation or our culture, but we, as in, let's get personal here. Let's bring this home. We, the church, how, do, how, how, would, how would Jesus have responded to this man if he was going to do things like us? So I've got some ideas here. Maybe he and his disciples could have planned at a community group gathering. It's a good time to, good time to get together like we do and, and uh, do things for people who are sick and, and hurting. Maybe they could have planned a community group gathering where they packed up little Ziploc bags with granola bars and we got to have a gospel tract in there. Maybe some Subway gift cards. Hey, that'd be nice. That'd be good. 
That'd be, that'd be great. It'd be fairly painless. We can do this. But there's still a sacrifice, right? Time and money involved. Could have given the leper a meal, a chance to respond to the gospel if he knew how to read. Got, got to be real careful, though. Really careful. Leprosy is pretty infectious. So we got to have some gloves. Gotta have some hand sanitizer. I know for a fact that Aunt Sally will not let her son come back to youth group if he comes home with leprosy. Now be careful. Or maybe they could have set up a big tent right in the middle of town. Put a, put a big sign on it. It says, Jesus and his disciples, free gospel bags. Could have had a table, had a line, stacks of these bags, passed them out one by one. They could have gotten a lot of lepers that way. Again, gospel tracks going everywhere. We got food. This is great. I mean, heck, you might even get your picture on the front page of the, of the Courier Journal if you do something like that. I got another idea. Maybe, again, community group is, is gold for doing these things. Get together with your friends at community group. Maybe they could have made up some big signs, huge signs, big black lettering, and taken those signs over to the edge of the leper colony. Maybe they could have stood on the edge there, just far enough away not to get dirty, and, and held those signs up, and they could have chanted, God hates lepers! God hates lepers! Another guy over there, maybe Peter had the sign that says, turn or burn, turn or burn. That would have been really helpful. Or maybe, maybe at the time, maybe there was a Facebook group for lepers, like be able to help each other out, encourage each other along in the path. Maybe that Jesus and his disciples could have in, infiltrated that group. We're, we're going to go undercover for the gospel. They're going to sneak into the group, and we're going to put in really well-timed, snarky comments about, I don't know, three ways to get over leprosy. Or, or maybe how leprosy is going to, going to be the end of Western civilization. Oh, I've got another idea, you guys. This one, this one gets the whole community involved. Again, Facebook and Twitter, these are, these are prime mediums to do this. Jesus and his disciples could have created an online discussion forum where they argued back and forth about the best method for reaching lepers. Iron sharpens iron, guys. We, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. We're going to get the whole community involved. We'll reach a lot of people, get a lot of people excited about our cause. I hope you feel the uncomfortable irony of those. Because Jesus didn't do any of those. Didn't do anything remotely like any of those. Isn't that often the approach of the church? So how did Jesus cultivate kindness in his life? If it wasn't any of those things, some of them were nice, some of them were awful. <laughs> if Jesus didn't do those things to cultivate the kindness of God in his life, what did he do? This is the part where it kind of gets boring. He didn't do big flashy stuff most of the time. 
He just did normal stuff. He, in this story, he's just walking through town with his friends. And you know what he does do? He pays attention. Oh, there's a, there's a leper over there. I, I hear him. He's calling out for help. I'm going to go over there. He didn't step around people to go and do what he was going to do. It's pretty normal. Walking through town, somebody asks for help, and he paid attention. In some places in the New Testament, Jesus even ate with these people. And in the case of our story today, he physically connected himself to the man, that great physical and social and spiritual risk to himself. He was willing to get dirty. He was willing to sit with people who made him feel uncomfortable. It wasn't a big, showy, flashy thing. It's pretty normal. He lived with the purpose of revealing the character of God to the world. So, I have some questions for us this morning. If you're a note taker, let's just slow down with these. Make a list if you have to, or just think in your mind. First of all, are you willing to go and do likewise? Are you willing to stop just being random acts of kindness, people? Not that random acts of kindness are bad. It's good to be nice to people. But if that's your sole method of what Jesus' kindness is, are you willing to stop it? Are you willing to start physically associating yourself with the outsiders of our community? Are you willing to risk your social status for someone else? That's a tough one. So first, are you willing? Do you want to? And if you want to, what are you willing to do in order to do it? Instead of making in your mind a big list of big, huge things to do, big, uh, big events or whatever, you know, what about just some simple, very simple things? Would you be willing, first of all, would you be willing to sit with somebody who makes you feel uncomfortable? Would you connect yourself to somebody else in a real, in a tangible way, in a long-term way? Would you, would you do that? Would you, would you connect yourself with somebody who our society, maybe even our church culture has cast off? And that begs the question, who is it? Who is it in your life? Maybe it's your neighbor where you, where you live. Maybe you're sitting next to him this morning. Maybe they're across the room. Maybe they're in your community group. Or maybe they came to your community group and you were relieved when they didn't come back. Maybe it's a child 
in the foster system that needs a home. Or maybe it's your biological child that you've raised or are raising who's disappointed you or rebelled against you. What are you willing to do in order to reveal the character of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus to them? Friends, we can experience and extend the kindness of Jesus Christ because God has planned that we would in Jesus Christ. We can do this because Jesus has connected himself to us. He's given us his kindness. He's shown us what it looks like. He's given us his spirit to actually do it. There's nothing lacking. Nothing. And so as we come this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper, we have the opportunity to partake in the kindness of Jesus. And what greater display have we experienced than the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us? If you're not a Christian this morning, the Bible tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The fact that you're here this morning, that you're sitting here listening to this, is proof of that. He's given you an opportunity. He invites you to partake of himself by trusting him alone for forgiveness from the spiritual disease and sickness of sin. We invite you to trust Christ from wherever you're sitting. And if you don't know what that looks like, you want to learn more about that, ask somebody you're sitting next to. After the service, there will be people up front here as well to answer questions or pray with you, whatever, whatever you might need. If you are a Christian this morning, consider the kindness of God to put himself in a great place of vulnerability for you. He didn't just shout down from the heavens. He became one of us. He physically connected himself to us by associating among us. And not only that, he paid the debt that we owed. He took our sin on himself. And he died as both substitute and example. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down to a meal with a group of poor fishermen who had become his closest friends. Individuals that he didn't have to connect himself to, but he did. He picked up a loaf of bread and he said, friends, this is my body broken for you. Take it, all of you. Eat from it. And remember what I've done for you. In the same way, he took up a cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you. Friends, this is the kindness of Christ.
as you come forward, stations throughout the auditorium with, where you can rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or juice, and the wine will have twine. As you come forward to do so, consider the kindness of God shown in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, this is the kindness of God in Christ, the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. Let's pray.